Welcome to the SBS Digital Learning Hour, brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. We're coming to you today from a conference room in Central Office, bringing the latest news in Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. I am your host, Mike Thomas, the Bearded Tech Ed Guy. You can find me out on all the socials at Bearded Tech Ed, my website, beardedtechedguy.com, and of course, the new digital learning page on my SPS. Before we jump into this week's interview of the week, just have a few announcements. The first of which is ELAR is being updated here in Massachusetts. As a teacher, you need to be able to access ELAR, and so I encourage you to go out to the website if you did not get an email from them already, to go and update your information so that when they make the switch later this year, and by this year, I mean in the next month and a half, you'll be able to access your ELAR information, and it's especially important if you are in a renewal year for your license. In case you missed it, this week's blog post was all about ChatGPT and how it took over the internet. In fact, our interview this week actually also is all about ChatGPT. It's kind of the hot new topic here in education. And it's been going on for a good six months now on what everybody should do. And so I encourage you to go check out the blog post after you listen to this interview, of course, because a lot of it will make more sense. If you missed it, we also had some posts out there on esports and education and how it works together. And of course, Reading Progress 101. I will mention the ChatGPT one, though. There is going to be a series of three blog posts that will be coming out over the next number of weeks. Also, we're very excited for an upcoming event on June 1st at Bolin Elementary School at 4.30. It's the CS for All Springfield Showcase. It's a night of celebration for all of the accomplishments that we have in completing another year of computer science here in Springfield. One of the things, if you are not a Springfield teacher, even if you are, you might not know this, but Every school here in Springfield has at least one computer science teacher so that we can make sure that everyone here in Springfield has access to high quality computer science education. So this event will have some teacher demonstrations, student presenters. There'll even be a device playground so you can actually try out a few of these things. There'll be of course some refreshments and if you come and complete a bingo card, you will be entered in to win some raffle prizes. So we have some pretty awesome prize baskets. I know that I spent a lot of time curating everything for these baskets, so I'm hoping that you all will like them too. There'll also be some free swag spread throughout the event too. So please come. It is June 1st. Everybody is welcome at Boland Elementary School at 4.30. As I briefly mentioned, this week's interview of the week does have to do with ChatGPT. Instead of talking with just one teacher, we had a teacher roundtable. I used a new tool called Riverside that allowed us to have a very good recording of our time together. And so I hope that you learn a lot from it. I know throughout the conversation, I definitely did. And I know the other teachers who participated did too. So here, check it out. This is our latest interview. joining us today. We're going to have a great conversation. So before I begin, though, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. So we'll start in my center of the screen, which is currently Josh. So hi, uh, I'm Joshua Farber. I teach at the High School of Science and Technology. I'm an English teacher, team leader, technology coordinator, and member of ILT. A lot of hats. Oh, and union head. So we're looking at this from lots of good angles. All right, pass it over to Bram. I am Bram. I teach at Springfield Renaissance. While I wanted to teach computer science at the high school level, I'm teaching at the middle school level, digital literacy, computer science, and for the next two months, a climate crisis expedition. Ooh. We might have to talk about that. Mm -hmm. uh, Katie. I'm Katie Wells. I am a social studies teacher at Central High School. I teach um, AP U.S. government. I teach ancient history. 
I am our social studies department chair, tech coordinator, um, general nerdy girl Friday, and um, union that helpful union girl. Hi, I'm Melissa Zeitz. I work at Zanetti. I'm the digital literacy and computer science teacher at Technology Coordinator. I'm also on ILT. For the district, I'm the Technology and Curriculum Resource Coordinator for the Springfield CS for All grant that's happening with elementary schools. And as a side note, I'm also very involved in CSTA, which is the Computer Science Teachers Association of Western Mass. And we're doing a lot of work around this topic. Awesome. So it's great to hear everybody's um, wide range of experience. And so the first thing we want to know is, what do you know about ChatGPT? Because as a district, we started hearing about it in November, and then December came and it kind of blew up. And everyone was using it. Districts were banning it. Districts were using it. Now countries are banning it. Some countries are excited about it. So what do you know? I know that if we don't get ahead of it, it's going to be a problem. But if we get ahead of it, it could be an awesome tool. That's a good start. I'll pick up from there. Um, I know that it's a good play space for me to test run things like prompts for the classroom. Uh, and then I've shown it to a lot of other teachers who were both shocked and happy to see what that looks like when they start things like that themselves. Hi, Michelle. Um, Hi, Michelle. I, uh, I also know, and I don't know how brand specific we want to be today, Mike, so maybe I'll use what I know as an answer to that question. There we go. So, hey! Like said, that was awesome. So, like I said, the, the other thing I know about ChatGPT is that I, I want to be careful that we're not necessarily, we are or not. So I guess it's sort of a question to Mike about what I know. I, I currently am already an early adopter of BARD and I've been spending some time going back and forth. I know that as an English teacher, I get oversensitive to semantics and, you know, have to remind students that Kleenex is a brand name and so is Band-Aid. How wide do we want to be talking? Are we using ChatGPT like Xerox? Are we using it to stand in for a concept? Or do we want to stick to what we know about that tool itself? Um, we can start with what we know about the tool itself, um, but okay. then there's things like CurioPod, which um, allows teachers to create lesson plans with yeah. using a Chat GPT-like function. So, I yeah. think most people just know Chat GPT, and as you were saying with Kleenex, they kind of use it for all AI generative text. Fair enough. Um... Then what I know about ChatGPT is that although you can hit refresh and ask it to repeat, it spits out one answer at a time, which if you're asking it certain things, some of these other tools don't do that. Bard, I'm seeing, for example, already spit out. Here's the primary choice, but there's a button that literally reveals we also generated three others that are alternate at the same time. And I'll tell you, as an English teacher, right now, that option is where I'm getting really excited looking forward. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Josh, I'll have to touch base with you uh, offline about where I can find this bard because yeah, I like it's, it too. Yeah, it's the Google equivalent, and it, it's Hi. sort of invite only, but I suspect they're going to grow it pretty fast. So gotcha. I'll pass it. Okay. Just asked, and then they gave it to me a couple of days later. It's mm -hmm. yep. google.com because everything is something.google.com. On um, it. <laughs> yeah. One thing I know is that if you're teaching programming and you're going to go switch into object-oriented mode and to say, hey, ChatGPT, could you please write me an object-oriented version of tic-tac-toe? It will just go and do it. So it means that we have to really be connecting to our students in a very staged process and, and making sure that they're doing their own work. That's one thing I know. Another thing I know, which I guess I'm kind of interested in, is that it really is just a language predictor. It doesn't actually think. And so it's interesting to then go, what would it, how would it be different if it actually thought? Because if we can't tell the difference between language predict, prediction and thinking, we have to get deeper. I agree with that. Definitely. Um, 
I'm seeing it as um, like the the language equivalent of what calculators were, you know, and now now we can, um, you know, use this as a tool for some of the more um, some of the more basic skills and get more into um, the thinking part of it and the critical thinking part of it and the, um, you know, finding evidence to support an argument rather than just like, how are you crafting? How are you putting the words together for this argument? Okay. But I'm sorry, Josh, I know this must be hard as an English teacher, <laughs> extra hard as an English teacher, but like more, more about like less about, um, you know, what words am I putting together to make this argument more about, okay, what is, what is what I'm saying mean and how do I support it and how do I make sure that it's valid and, 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 um, valid and true and sound and, uh, it, I'll, 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 since you brought me in, I'm going to respond directly if that's okay. I'm yes. actually not too worried about that right now because it's one of the things I know about ChatGPT is that it is exceptionally weak on when asked a broad prompt at an English or history level, it appears to completely fail the what do you do with evidence and how do you connect it with reasoning back to your points test. Now, notice I'm being really cautious to say right now, but I think it's one of the weakest aspects of the tool as it exists now. So happily, as Bram was pointing out, that means that even though in English you don't really get the same sort of factual, generative, clean package that you might write, we tried an AP physics prompt, and the AP physics teacher went, that is a perfect score for it. That's a perfect AP response. But when, I, when my students have, in the past several months, tried to submit work that is clearly AI-generated, although it isn't always ChatGPT-generated, it is incredibly obvious that they haven't done the work, regardless of the voice structure and syntax problems that ChatGPT also generates that are very typical. Because the most obvious problem is that I grade on a Bloom scaffold, right? D is identify. Have you identified the things in the text you need to know? C is describe. Have you, have you pulled out the things that matter about the things that you identified and presented them in ways that help? So it just, it goes up from there. It fails the baseline test for describe, for describe and identify. So I have this wonderful scenario where, that I've unfortunately had far too many times already this year, where I have to pull the students aside and go, you really have two choices. Either we have an academic dishonesty issue and I have to deal with it that way, or I can just fail you because it doesn't meet the baseline criteria for submitting an essay. That's, a, that's something I know about ChatGPT. It's really bad with evidence. And my, I don't know enough about the back end, right? My master's is in English teaching with technology, so it's sort of specific. But the gray hair, it's from 98. I don't have enough of a sense of the background of what's happening in the background that's causing that lack of evidentiary support to happen. But in the meantime, like I said, Katie, I'm actually not worried about that making English teachers nervous. The tool isn't ready. So I think we're in the window of opportunity to, to think about what does that mean for us? I agree. I definitely agree with that. I think, um, sorry for dominating the conversation. Um, if, uh, I, uh, I am liking the, uh, having the opportunity of, generating stuff um, like using my own prompts to generate things and then handing those things to students and saying here what's wrong with this how could you make this better how could you make this um you know how could you make this worth reading i'm just gonna um turn a little bit and one of the things that I know about ChatGPT is it's going to give a lot of students with different learning differences a voice that they didn't have prior to this. And to me, that is the most valuable thing that we we have to figure out how to appropriately help them get the voice. But the people that I've been working with, um, I've talked to a parent that has a child that's dyslexic, unrelated um, to Springfield. And they said, oh, they tried it with their child and they're seeing they're having um, a better understanding, whatever the material is. Someone else was struggling with writing and they were doing a college essay and they're not necessarily taking it word for word, but they're putting in their thoughts to help it kind of compose something. And then they're taking that composition and they're reworking it to make sure that it, it applies and makes sense. 
And even that process in itself is a lot of critical thinking, right? Because now they have to revise something that's already written based off of their own thoughts. Um, so I just see it giving a lot of students that voice, I think, in any, any field, in any direction. So Melissa and Michelle, three of us so far are high school teachers, and both of you work with middle and elementary. How has your experience been using ChatGPT or something similar? Have you seen students trying to use it? Or where, where is the younger grades at, I guess, with this? Perfect. So I've never, I never even heard of it. I teach SEBS in um, social, emotional, obviously, behavior in, at Sumner. And I never heard of it. I, um, I Googled it, and I'm like, maybe this was a little over my head. Um, I'm not sure if I should be in this, but, um, I did Google it and I thought it sounded amazing, but then I thought, I don't know if it's for students with, you know, severe disabilities and that's, I'm a severe disability teacher, but it's behavior, but they, you know, they have a, I mean, writing is laborious to them between punches, you know, that's kind of what, you know what we're dealing with right now. So I didn't know if this really was something for me or I don't want to take up a space for somebody if it's not something my students can use. I think to Melissa's point, it is something that uh, your students could use, um, even if it's just helping them generate an outline for what they're going to write about, because it is a lot of generative text. They could put in a lot of information and then turn around and have assistance either writing it or maybe it even gives them more ideas. Because you can also, the other thing I noticed too, it's as opposed to asking Google questions of like, hey, how do I do this? Or what is the meaning of this? Or what's the meaning of life? 42, we all know that. Um, <laughs> well, if we read that book, we do. And when you ask it a question, it gives you more of an answer than a list of websites to go to. Which amazing. is also another thing that could be helpful too, especially with students who are at your end of the level there. Yeah. Also, Michelle, another way to think about it is then, so say they produce their paragraph and then they put it in the system and it kind of produces another version and having that conversation with them about what did it add and how could I add that into, how could I have added that into my own? I mean, especially because my, my first teaching career was in an alternative school and I found just technology is what gave these kids. And I go back to technology, gave these kids a voice. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this tool, I understand why, believe me in my building, I know there are teachers very scared of this tool. They think that it's going to hurt the learning. I think we just need to know how to use it appropriately within the classroom. My students aren't using it that I know of. I mean, you know, I don't know what all my students are doing. Um, it has not come across. I have thought of it more in using it for personal. So I am not the strongest writer. And if I am going to do a writing sample for my students, I may put my writing into the system and see and make sure it works appropriately so that I am teaching them something strong. Um, writing parent letters. I said this, you know, before we popped on record, writing parent letters, making sure that they are appropriately stated and you get what you need to say, but you also want to tell the parent the good things, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you formulate that? You don't really go to school for a parent letter, right? So, you know, I personally use it for reasons like that, or I've used it to support me, because again, I'm not a strong writer, to even write donors choose grants. Mm -hmm. so I think there are a lot of ways that we can really use this personally to grow our, um, our strength, I mean, our weaknesses and help them to become strengths. Or, and also for our students to, to learn how to use this appropriately. So I'm writing my dissertation. Um, would that support me a little bit right now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh. <laughs> I would argue that if to the extent it does, it would be because you have the ability to recognize as content comes out of an assistive tool, like we're talking about using ChatGPT to help produce, right? Mm -hmm. so 
which I, I recognize is a really valuable and important support because we have to produce huge amounts of content. Mm. We have to produce model text and letters to parents. And that I don't think is a high school versus lower school issue. I mean, we just teachers have to produce content. Um, and I think what I think is really key here, Michelle, is that I, I love the idea of using it to support your thesis writing because I don't think the purpose of a thesis is to prove that you know how to recognize what a thesis should sound like, right? But I think what we're struggling with, especially at the high school level, is the cart before the horse problem. If, if, if students are still learning certain standards and they're not yet ready to recognize which part is my voice, which part is the AI voice, what is this supposed to look like? What is the purpose an audience supposed to cause for language? I'm going to give a very concrete example. I was curious about a prompt that I was giving in the 11th grade, but because I have a lot of ELL students and some that are still struggling writers, I asked, I changed one of the prompts that I was asking in the past few weeks, dropped it into chat GPT, but added the phrase written at a ninth grade level. Uh, I got the sentence at the end of a paragraph. She questions whether the emphasis on filial piety and gender roles is still relevant in a modern society that values individual individuality and self-expression. I would like to think that a student who wants to use the tool needs to support the generation of text as a learning skill, right? Should it sound like me? How am I developing my voice? Should be able to immediately look like that. And that goes, no, that doesn't sound like my ninth grade writing and it doesn't sound like ninth grade writing. I'm going to have to do something to that. But I worry that if we train the students on the tools in certain ways too early, then it corrupts their ability to recognize what they should sound like in the first place. So I, the, the term I used, Mike, when we had been emailing about this previously was I, I worry that if students don't recognize which part is theirs and they don't have a clean handle on the skill like adults do when they use this tool well, that they can't tell which part of them is the human and which part of them is the machine in what turns out to be development of cyborg voices. And that's pretty high order, but I don't think that's just a high school problem either. I think students are supposed to have voice at the middle school. I've taught middle school, and I believe that a lot of what we were doing when I was working there was developing voice. So again, it, for us to use it is different. M Melissa, you know what a parent letter is supposed to sound like. You can assess that and say, is this good tone? But if we're not teaching those things to students first, it's not that I hate the tool and I'm scared of it. It's that I'm worried that the tool is going to train them in an artificial voice that's not authentic to them, and they won't learn what they're yeah. supposed to. We'll miss the standards. There's a video, um, and I, if I can find it, I mean, I'll let Mike know. It's of a teacher doing this amazing lesson where it's teaching them to, teaching the students to recognize AI answers. Hmm. And they'll put multiple. So I think it's us that has to become part of elementary and middle teaching, or maybe not as much elementary, but definitely part of middle and high teaching of getting them to recognize how it because you can tell when I have done things you can definitely tell that it was written not by me I'm heading there Joshua said earlier Joshua that uh, the claim evidence reasoning is signed very strong in the work bar generates yeah. so you know my biggest concern for society is you know how it's supporting this information and clearly most of the people you know in this country and all over the world have no idea how to tell truth from falsehood or to read critically or anything else I believe only 20% uh, of people even go to college in, in America. Um, so uh, I think it would be handy to generate some faulty claim evidence reasoning stuff and then get some true stuff and then have the students try to figure out, you know, where is the problem uh, with that so they can start practicing how to do that kind of tracking when they actually yeah. read online text. Um, the tools do that really well. And it's not just BARD. I mean, ChatGPT was what I was just reading from. It's the same. It's an inherent flaw in the AI model, as far as we can tell right now. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't disagree at all. I think that's a really key point, that if, if students are able to recognize what doesn't work and does work, whether it's through the writing process, like Melissa's describing, through the accuracy process, like you're writing, like you're describing, then the tools work really well for that. But like I, 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 that cart course problem bugs me a little bit. It does, especially because we have such wonderfully diverse, inclusive environments mm. that many of us are teaching in. 
which is why when I've test when I've used it with students, it tends to be after school. I invite a few students in that I know can handle the maturity. I don't think I'm full class ready yet. I I will say um, I spend a semester teaching my eighth graders what is AI, and I I really I mean I'm not actually going to do it for the other eighth grade class, but it's purely because I need to work on the curriculum, make it more engaging. But I just feel like that is the starting point of before we, in some ways, before we even dive into chat GPT. For if I was working in, with students with learning, different learning styles, and they needed it as a support, sure, that small group one-on-one. But I think students need to understand what is AI, how does it work, for them to then be able to use a platform like this. So that's just my, so I didn't teach my students chat GPT at all. I stayed clear away from it. I was asked not to. I totally understand why, but I did teach them that they are surrounded by AI and what AI is and how it works so that at least they have an understanding of that development before going on it and using it. I couldn't help it. I dropped it in the chat. So I just wrote, sure, deeply understanding the whole concept of what it means to partner with technology. Because we got to admit, I mean, let's be honest, that was true with phones too, right? The extension brain, the way in which kids are evolving alongside certain technology. If students need an entire semester of understanding what it means to have AI and to be partnered with technology, I keep going back to these English standards that say I would that, that say that by exit at 12th grade, students should be able to negotiate with peers about roles and voices and thinking, I like that standard because if I think of the AI as a peer, then it tells me that the mature ability to do that may be an outcome of K-12 education. And that means we need to be cautious about what we're presuming when we do AI work with students earlier in that process. I don't know if you folks are aware, but most of the kids who are on Discord, which is probably most of the kids, mm -hmm. are already exploring chatbots. Um, yeah. So the concept of it, and anybody who's learned anything at all about social media know about algorithms. So, you know, it's it's not like so far away. Uh, it's to talk about this in context where they understand uh, how it has it has an impact on them. Uh, a semester, though, uh, that's, a, that's a heavy lift. Uh, no, it, well, we talked pretty in depth about how AI is about collecting data, an algorithm that it goes through, and then predicting a response. But yes, it, it's a, I mean, I'll share the curriculum in the chat, but it is quite a hefty um, semester. I'd like to take that class. It sounds like fun. Me too. Maybe that's professional development coming down the road that <laughs> Melissa's developing. On top of the other development, I mean, other PD I run. <laughs> um, so the actual standard has to do with writing it on paper. Um, in the chat, I wrote students are required to write an elementary formal like letter they're supposed to you know learn where the date goes and everything but yet these students have never been taught how to write a proper email and majority of any work related things that they're going to do is going to require email that gets us to off topic but it connected to something we were saying in the chat so yeah, i don't think it's off topic at all i mean with the, the english standards i've been looking at i had been doing ninth grade for a long time at SciTech since i switched over from technology teaching and the the 11th and 12th grade standards don't specify don't specify output in the English standards like a formal letter. They spe they specify that students should be able to produce work that it's basically rhetorically appropriate that 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 acknowledges purpose that's mm -hmm. appropriate to a particular audience in a particular form in a particular medium. I I don't think that's outside the range of this conversation. ChatGPT is a writing space. It's a discursive space with, again, a, a non-human peer, which I think we're very close to being able to accept that. I think we need to, I, I think rebalancing the ways in which the AI on the other end of that tool fits into those standards and relates to us may actually help us move past those more concrete, out-of-date, is our out-of-date fair, Melissa? Standards? <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to actually help us move the standards so that they continue to be descriptive sort of skills use rather than application use. So I'm actually excited about the way in which this larger discussion that we have to have because the tools are hitting our table now.
I'm really excited about the way this particular conversation is saying it's time to make sure that what we're doing is really authentic. The stuff that we should always be doing and that should always drive any technology, but now we're in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And I think um, to what you say um, about being in a hurry and also to your um, point before about um, students and phones, um, I feel like one of the problems that we're seeing now is that students, like these students that we have now grew up as phones were rolling out. So as their parents and their teachers and their, um, you know, they grew up with technology, but they grew up with advancing technology. So, um, you know, they're, it wasn't rolled out to them in a thoughtful way. And it, uh, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said for um, thinking about how do we get in front of this and how do we say, all right, we need to make sure that this is that the kids know how to use this as a tool and and, um, you know, what are appropriate ways to use it and what are inappropriate ways to use it. Um, one of the uh, one of the discussion questions that Mike sent out um, was what constitutes cheating? And so to like be able to say to a kid, OK, having this help you generate a list of ideas and then taking those ideas and doing something with them yourself, that's entirely different than saying, okay, here's my essay prompt, chat GPT, write me an essay. No, that's the same as copying it. Like if you didn't generate that like, content from your brain, then that's not yours, whether yeah. it was generated by another person or by an AI. And so just kind of giving them um, opportunities and I, I like I like that you said that you've been um, using it with some students sometimes. I, I'm kind of in the same place. Like um, I'm as I see where someone would benefit from it, I'll go, oh, hey, have you seen this thing? Let me show you how this works. Let me show you how I used it. Let me show you what I tried. Um, and I've been trying to kind of teach it as I'm learning it and just model what I'm learning and say, okay, because, you know, you're not going to, you wouldn't want to do this because that would be, that would be cheating. That would be just the same as plagiarism. But if you were to use it this way, then you save yourself some of the mental energy and you can use that energy then to do the really important thing, which is write it, which is really think about it, which is apply some critical thinking to I would, it. I would actually argue you're doing something even better. You're switching the generative process. Once you know that students can brainstorm for a particular level in a certain topic, you know they have the skill. You don't need to, to keep testing it, even though it's an inherent part of developing answers. Yeah. But what you've done is you've switched it. And I, I would argue that you're not replacing, you're not dropping it. You're not letting the tool generate. Most people that I've seen who are using it to generate ideas ultimately use an idea that the chatbot didn't generate. And I find that a really interesting anecdote because what it tells me is, you know how to generate. Now we're going to switch that that part of the process over to evaluation. And yeah. evaluation is so much higher order. Yeah. What a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And just the creation. Um, I mean, what's the what's the top level in uh, in uh, Bloom's Revised? It's create. So, okay, I you know, so I mean. I remember doing, um, I say I remember doing homework as though I'm not doing homework every day. Um, but like, I remember sitting down and I'll sit down and go, Oh, all right. I have to do this thing. And just the process getting started sometimes. But once those ideas get flowing, they're good. They're going. So I see this, I see this, um, AI model, um, whether we're going with chat GPT or another, um, I see it as this like, uh, like a helper, like get, get the ideas flowing. And then once the ideas are there, then you can take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the, the whole reason for that, what constitutes cheating question, what constitutes plagiarism is because with all the research that I've been asked to do over the last month and a half, I watched a discussion with, um, Matt Miller from ditch that text, text, tech book, textbook. I can't remember exactly what it is, but he was explaining like there's like a pendulum of here. I'm going to actually post it as a I'm going to share my screen here so you can see what I'm talking about, because I I screen grabbed it afterwards because I thought it was really interesting. He drew this 
on his um, e-glass thing here. And so he's like, here's the AI part and here's the human part. And as you're going through the writing, if it's all from the student, it starts down here. If it's AI generating, you're just copy and pasting, you're up here. And then kind of going back and forth about like, well, what constitutes plagiarism? What, what level of this are you plagiarizing? Um, and thinking about the whole research process, because a lot of research is not necessarily, a lot of it's been done already. And you're just now putting other research together and kind of creating your own version of that research. Does he ultimately decide, I'd be really tempted to say, I'd hope that the end of that conversation or presentation is the word plagiarism or academic dishonesty, the phrase academic dishonesty. Mm -hmm. We used to think of them as binary, even this, either the mm -hmm. student or not. And I, I don't, I think we need to get rid of that model. Right. Mm -hmm. We need to say which parts of this are authentically yours. And I can see evidence that it's authentically yours. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, when you're going from prompt to essay, there's a lot of steps. Mm -hmm. So a lot of school districts and teachers that I have seen, and there's a lot of chat in some teacher forums, you know, you sort of go to Quora or Reddit and see what's happening in the larger world of people throwing ideas and seeing what who's there. But a lot of what I'm seeing is that in order to at least be able to make transparent all those steps when we do larger assessments, some teachers are finding it a little frustrating because they have to slow down the process by going back and forth on each step more than they used to. And that's making me nervous because it may mean that we get to go deeper, but may not need, but may not have the time to go as far in a given school year. I don't, I don't think that's what we mean by rigor. So that's a bigger question we're going to have to fight with over the next few years as well as we think about this is, you know, we've got we've got these tools. They can make things really fast by just asking the thing and cheating and sending in the thing. And that I'll take that as a binary answer, because, again, it was really obvious that the kid did not write the phrase filial piety. Fine. Right. Talk about it. <laughs> I guess the worst ones, I had to look it up. The, the phrase only appeared in two graduate level papers. So I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not accepting this one. But again, I, the, I'd rather we talk about authenticity and be able to chunk the steps of authenticity. But it slows things down so much when you're doing larger scale synthesis work. And one of the challenges we're going to have to look at, I think, is that currently I'm in a school that does an alternating day schedule. Every 21 days in English and in the school, we do a very deep lock the kids down for three blocks, do a deep dive assessment of where they are. And we don't have time to assess all the pieces by the time they get to high school that it would take them to get the answers on those tests, which means ChatGPT itself may challenge the way in which we use those tests and the authenticity of those tests because we're going to have to be slowing it down, the process down so much, we need to see more parts of the process for the student. Yeah, I'm concerned that if we teach, like we're going to have to teach chat, chat GPT if we allow it, because otherwise some students will know about it and some won't. And the two concerns I have about mm -hmm. that are that some students will be so amazed at how they can pass for somebody who can write in other classes besides ours, because we, you know, not everybody has the same eyes you have, Josh. You know, that will basically be giving them, you know, weapons to go and use in other situations. Uh, and the other problem is that uh, um, not all teach. I mean, it's pretty much the same problem. One problem is that, you know, what you teach one kid to do, you have to teach all and other kids may not be ready. And the other problem is that you're now sending students into classes with other teachers that may not be ready. So you're introducing something into the environment that the environment may not be ready for and that the students aren't. I wonder if that's part of why we hear anecdotally that some teachers are scared of this. They know that some of us are starting to explore it with kids in ways that might be sensible or at least at pilot level. But they also instinctively may know, as you say, Brian, that what you learn in one room stays with the kid, right? We're not, the kid, it's not a different kid who walks into the Chinese class after my class. Mm -hmm. So that's, Again, what a wonderful problem to have that we have to think of authentic ways to assess kids as they move around the whole building. It's making me as a high school teacher really jealous of the lower school teachers in the room because mm -hmm. I know that they sometimes have the opportunity to be with kids as they go from one subject to another. Mm -hmm. We don't have that choice. So with 
AI and just kind of where it is and how it is so prevalent now, even in our Word documents where it has predictive text, where it tries to think about what you're writing, how do you prepare students to be even using that, not even chat GPT level, but just the predictive text level? Or do you, or do you just let them explore it as they go along? Sometimes I just let them explore. And I'll say, um, so I'm thinking of one student in particular. He's a, um, uh, he's not an English learner, but he's, he's not a native speaker either. Um, so he's, he's been, uh, he's been learning English since he was a kid, but it wasn't his first language. Um, and it's not his primary language at home. So he, um, he will often, uh, like he'll type something and he'll get the gener- uh, predictive text, but it's not at all what he meant because his, um, you know, his spelling isn't there yet or his, so it's, so he's, it, it thinks he's typing something entirely different than what he means. And so, you know, I'm, I've kind of said to him, okay, so what, what the challenge now is, is knowing when it's, not reading you when it's not getting what you mean um and knowing when it's okay to use it and when it's actually going to make your writing worse put in the chat just because not everyone can see it it sounds mm-hmm. like that's still a concern that goes back to my push to say then we need to teach students to evaluate i mean the simple oh, yeah. thing i have there is predictive text is great if all you want to do is produce non-contextualized mediocre rhetorical responses to things. Mm. But what I say in my English class on day one is I please don't use the thesaurus. Please talk to me and I'll help no. you understand the connotation of the word. Because mm-hmm. the easy answer from an English perspective is there's two different words for a reason. They mean slightly different things. Mm-hmm. Predictive text doesn't do that well at all. Oh it doesn't. So um so I think when I was thinking predictive text, I'm thinking um as uh, it's, it's something that I've just started using myself is, uh, you know, you'll start typing a word and it will finish that word and you can arrow over and the word is there. So less so predictive text where it's, it's adding words, but more so that it's finishing words. Sure. Um, but, uh, class, right, Katie? I, so I teach AP, I also teach, I teach AP and I teach, um, Ancient history, which I have a very, um, I have a very, uh, heterogeneous group in my, um, I have some very advanced students and I have some very, um, lower level students. The reason I'm asking is this is the first year, maybe a little bit last year, but this is Mm -hmm. the first year that I've seen students in, at the AP level at 11th grade for language and composition, Mm -hmm. course. It's the first year I've seen students who are using homonyms that they don't realize they're using at this level because Mm -hmm. Predictive text has undermined their ability to understand and keep spelling rules. Yeah. So, you know, if you're talking about a student who grows up without understanding the rule that says if there's a double consonant, then it's a shorter version of the vowel before it, that it's going to look like on their AP responses, they don't understand which word they're using. And that's going to mm-hmm. buy the reader. I, we, I just had that conversation with some exceptional students right the kids i would try mm-hmm. this because they're mature and they've they're curious about this stuff and and they didn't know that basic rule at 11th grade mm-hmm. i think to me that was a really strong dipstick of sort of what are the risks of predictive text i really oh, do yeah that's a direct artifact mm-hmm. um I just, I just now got the straight ahead, idea. My, my kids have a web clinic where they make websites for clients i no longer need lorem ipsum <laughs> about us and you know go to town all right go ahead yeah. i had a kid i had a kid using a um a template on uh, i don't remember what it was for but he was using a template and it had the lorem ipsum whole text already in it and he was so confused he was so mad he didn't know what the why somebody already go in and mess up my document and change my work and and he he didn't realize that those were pages he hadn't gotten to yet, and that text was there as a as a placeholder. So we had a conversation. It was good. 
<laughs> it's not an unfair comparison. I mean, if yeah. students can't recognize lorem ipsum as nonsense, then it's a really strong backup to the idea that they might not be able to recognize chat GPT as moving their voice in ways that they can't control and don't want to work. Mm. So definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I'm going to turn into a pumpkin in four minutes. Do we want to do a closing statements, Mike? Or were you hoping that this would go on for five hours? <laughs> I said at the beginning. We yeah, I know. I know Josh said it at the beginning. Um, we're definitely going to have to come back to this conversation. So I want to give everyone a chance to have a last word and then we'll come back again, especially because 45 minutes is a long time for anyone, mm -hmm. one person to listen. So we'll go backwards in order. So we'll start with Melissa. We shouldn't be afraid of what we don't know. We should try it out and explore it and read about it and see what the pros and cons are before we just dismiss it. I'm with you. I have a closing statement. I think that this is one of those things that shows that um, the amount of, this is a whole different conversation, but the amount of preparation time that we have as teachers is woefully uh, insignificant, uh, mm. in, in, insufficient is the word I wanted. It, woefully insufficient because, you know, doing everything that we're already doing and then also, uh, you know, getting into the research of what is, what is good about this? What is harmful about this? What is, uh, you know, how can we use it? How's it already being used? How might we want to use it? Um, it's, it's a lot on top of what we already do, but it's important. Mike, who's next? Bram, go. Well, you know, I think that uh, generated AI has the potential to be a valuable tool for a variety of purposes. It can be used to create creative content, translate languages, and answer questions in an informative way. It can also be used to generate new ideas and solve problems. However, it is important to note that generated AI is still in its early stages of development, and there are some limitations to its capabilities. For example, it can sometimes generate text that is inaccurate or misleading. Additionally, it is important to use generated AI responsibly and be aware of when somebody is using it rather than speaking in an authentic voice. Yeah. We're all laughing because we know where that came from. Nice use. Is that the original, the ChatGPT answer? Right. That was the Bard of Avon. That's the Bard answer. Good choice. My simplest closing statement here is I think it's too early to make broad suggestions at the district or school level about how we might use this with students. I think it's too early because of some of the things that we've just all mentioned, including the chat, the bar generated answer, in fact. I think it anticipates the idea that until we have, just like with any other te major technology coming down the pike, this is not a new problem. I think, I think we're not necessarily ready because, as Katie has suggested, the level of PD it takes for us to be aware of what could work, what could go wrong, the scariness that Melissa is, I think, aptly responding to, right? It's tempting to turn it off, but I don't think we should do that either. I, I don't think we're at a systemic level where making suggestions of things that you might do with students in ways that could be graded is appropriate or safe. I, I love, let's take a day and pilot it in the classroom. I love, let's measure different standards, right? Let's Let's use that as an opportunity to just measure the standard that crosses into almost every subject area that says students have to negotiate and work together. That's it. But at the same time, to generate work that's graded within our subject area, I, I think it's dangerous in some ways to make concrete guidance suggestions that say one way you might use this is because we're not ready yet universally, even those of us in this room, to account for what kind of impact could using that with students have as they leave the room, as they develop pedagogically, we're still having the discussion. So room to pilot, which Katie, no offense, but I think of that as PD, right? The permission that says play with it with your kids for a couple of days to me is development. It's development for me and the kids. So I don't need that as separate time. I need that as, you know what? You can have two extra days on the calendar that we're not going to walk in and ask mm -hmm. you to be content level stuff. So if you're okay, I'm going to shoehorn that into PD time. 
but I agree on that level that says we need to do that first so that teachers can feel confident about what could happen and what what we should be able to see about students when we use it for deliberate ways that affect our curriculum goals. Awesome. Well, thank you all for taking part in this. This is definitely the first of what will probably be many conversations because we don't want to jump to any one conclusion before we're ready. So thank you all. Again, I just want to thank all of the teachers who participated in our discussion. It was very good, very cordial, very informative. And where are we in the district with ChatGPT? Who knows at the moment, because we're still exploring and still learning. And as was mentioned, we don't want to jump to conclusions before we get there, but we also want to be mindfully learning more about it. As a listener, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. It is one of our longer ones we've done in a while. So I know that it might have taken you one once or twice to get through it. And I thank you for that. If you like this episode, please go out to your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Those are the two biggest in the world. And leave us a rating and review that helps us move up the board so we can spread the word of how awesome Springfield teachers are. And it helps get the word out about all the things that we are doing. Also, if you have any teachers or anyone who is interested in learning more about ChatGPT, you can always check out my blog, beardedtechedguy.com, or on the digital learning blog page, where we discuss ChatGPT more over the next coming weeks. This would be an excellent episode to send off to someone, especially if they don't know much about it to begin with. And so again, I want to thank you for listening. Make sure you go out there and give us your rating and review, five stars. I'm Mike Thomas, the Bearded Tech Ed Guy. And this is the SBS Digital Learning Hour.